0: 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verses 14 through 18. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, and the word of the Lord says, "'Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of the Lord as salvation.' Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some times in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless people, and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. May God add a blessing to His Word. You may be seated. As I said, today we conclude our examination and study of Second Peter. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I've always wanted to do at least some series out of Peter uh, before I was given the opportunity to be your pastor uh, because I most resonate with Peter. Uh, I don't know if you do that. When you go through the Bible, you go, gosh, I'm really like that person. I'm really like Peter. Um, and, and so um, it's been a joy to go through this. But this morning, we see uh, Peter's final exhortation to the church. And this we believe to be Peter's last letter to the church. And again he's addressing the false teachers and the scoffers, but he's also stirring us up so that we don't fall into complacency, which is easy to do, we discussed that. Or be carried away by the false teachers who twist and manipulate the Scripture to basically justify their behavior. And the theme that we've been operating under in 2 Peter is the theme of being diligent in our faith. Diligent in our faith. You know, when we read this final segment, these final Scriptures, these final texts, you know, you can really see the heart of Peter as a pastor. Pastor. And that brings me great joy because it is a marvelous transformation if you ever studied the life of Peter. In fact, what is that saying that we talk about on Wednesday? How did I get here? Mike and I have been talking about that. I'm encouraging Mike to develop a message on how did I get here? So we need to be praying up Mike so that one day he'll be up here and share that with us. Amen. But how did we get here? How did we get here? How did Peter get here? Well, it's a life of transformation, transportation, trans. <laughs> oh, I was going to make it even worse. Transformation. And uh, we'll have to dub that out in the video. Um, but his time is almost over. And you can sense that. And soon he'll be with the Lord. And as any pastor who has poured their heart into the church, who has poured their soul into the church, he cares deeply for them. He cares very deeply that they're not led astray. He's come a long way from being an ill-tempered fisherman to now a person who calls the church beloved, which is a deep term of endearment and love. And it really does show the heart of Peter. Now, when we look at these last few verses, we see four main points that I want to focus on this morning. The first point is that we are to be found in Him diligent in our faith. When He comes, He is coming. Amen? The second is the Lord's patience unto salvation. And why is that significant? The third is exhortation not to be carried away with the error of lawless people, which is a real concern for the church that Peter is addressing. It's also a real concern for the church today. We have talked about that when we covered chapter 2, and that there are false teachers today that have very large followings because their message is more worldly than based upon the true interpretation of God's Word and finally that we are continue to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. What does that mean? We'll examine that this morning. And so those four points is what I want to do as far as the backdrop to this morning's sermon. And it's under this theme overall for this sermon. Until Christ comes, we are to fulfilling his purpose in us and his mission to which He has called us. It's a two-part purpose, growing in the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Christ and sharing that with the world. so let's start with verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you were waiting for these, be diligent to be found in Him without spot, blemish, and at peace. Now, Peter begins this verse with, therefore... And as we always need to understand, that therefore is a prelude to a future exhortation based upon the context of the preceding verses and its prelude, right? It's a thought to stop and remember what he said because he's about to give you something to contemplate based on that. And if you recall last week that we in the those in the world as we know it or the things of the world as we know it, are going to be burned up in final judgment upon Christ's final return, and that we are awaiting new heavens and a new earth to be renewed. And as with the challenge last week as to what sort of people we ought to be in Christ, as we await God's final judgment upon this earth, who are we to be? And so now Peter has given us an answer to the challenge in his exhortation to be diligent in our faith and to be found by Him without spot, blemish, and to be at peace. This is our challenge as we await the coming of the Lord. Now, this is the second time Peter has used the word diligent. If you recall, early in 2 Peter, he he used it, and diligent means to exhort oneself and to give oneself fully. It's not passive, it's active. It's not occasionally, it's all the time. It's not somewhat, but fully. That's how we are to approach our faith. Have you ever had a project that you needed to do and you, you didn't give your full energy to it? Did you get the result you were looking for? In our faith, which is extremely important in our walk with the Lord, we are to give ourselves fully to it. Not when it's convenient, not when it's time, not when I have a few moments. Maybe Thursday I'll pencil in a little bit of time with the Lord. It's every day. It's every day. Now within this letter, Peter uses the term twice. Twice. And in the first time, like I said, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here, Peter exhorts them to be diligent to confirm their calling in election by practicing seven qualities. If you remember those qualities, if you don't, you can go to chapter 1, verse 10, and and reacquaint yourself with those seven qualities of faith. Here, Peter now uses the term, In a relationship to be found in him without spot, blemish, and at peace. The first one in verse chapter 1, verse 10 is an affirmation, right? To confirm your calling and election. This time, he's using it in a dispositional way as to how to be found in Christ. In chapter 1, he admonishes them to be progressing in their faith always, fully. And here, Peter admonishing them to be prepared for when he comes. Are we prepared? We don't know when Jesus is coming. As we discussed a couple weeks ago, He comes as the thief in the night, which means we don't know when He will. And so we always need to be prepared. We always need to, <clears throat> excuse me, but to be active, to be progressing in what He's called us to do. Now, the word that is interesting in this verse, 14, is to be found. I don't know, sometimes when I read through a verse, those types of words jump out at me more so than spot blemish or piece to be found the word comes from the greek word which means to be discovered to be recognized detected to show oneself of one's character or state as found out by others so what this word is saying is that when the lord comes will you be found faithful will you be found in him Remember what Jesus says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Oh, I pray that he does. I pray that he does. You know, within my job, I ask people concerning the subjects that I'm doing investigations on as I I do background investigations for the federal government. And one of the number one areas that I look at is the area of integrity. And I premise always when I ask this question What kind of integrity does that person have? And I always premise it with this definition. Do they always do what is right even when no one else is looking or watching them? Now, supervisors know their troops. They can tell when the troop was doing exactly what they were told to do when they were absent of any leadership. They can also tell when the troop didn't do their job Or the task, or whatever it was that they were asked to do when their boss is gone, right? When the cat's away, the mouse will play, right? And so I asked this question to find out the integrity of the person. Because this is a true test of the character for those that I'm investigating. But it's also a true test of character in Christ for us. When Christ comes, will he find us faithful? Will He find us doing His work that He's called us and equipped us and empowered us to do? And so within this text, Peter reveals how Jesus is to find us and identifies those three things, the spot, the blemish, and to be at peace. So let's first take a look at what a spot is. Spot means to be clean, pure, unsoiled from this world, unsoiled from this world, to have no dirt. No pollution or contamination of sin whatsoever. I read something in an article this week. It was kind of gross. So, Clorox, you know Clorox, the home cleaner, right? Makes uh, cleaning products for clothes, but also cleaning products for the bathroom. They did their own study. Kids, children that go to daycare or preschool come home with more germs on them, in their clothes, on their hands, Than what you find on a toilet seat. I have since stopped hugging my grandchildren until they wash their clothes. Now my daughter is going to put them in wrapping or some kind of plastic before she gets them up. But it's interesting that you can just go through life and pick up the contaminants in this world. We could do the same thing in our life if we're not careful and being diligent in our faith. Now, this is in contrast to what Peter had said related to the false teachers, if you recall, in chapter 2, where he identified them as having blots, having blemishes, meaning they have been soiled by their false teaching and sin, and it is present for all to see in who they are and how they're carrying themselves. You know, I was ironing a white shirt one day, I, I wear a lot of suits, so you can imagine I have a lot of white shirts. And I noticed, and don't be grossed out there. I'm sorry about this, but it just happens, right? I noticed some pit stains. They happen, right? And it was a white dress shirt, and, um, and it was an old one, and as, while I was ironing it, um, I thought to myself, well, I just iron it, right? And I'll just keep my arms down, right? But anybody that knows me, I, I talk with my arms, I used them to make points. And so the last thing I wanted to do was to be in an interview and go, now why did you just, and then them see those pit stains. And so I threw it in the garbage. It's of no use. It could be used for rags, sure. But I threw it in the garbage because they had been soiled. They couldn't come out. And if I would have worn that shirt during an interview, and I'm sure you have seen this, When you went and spoke to somebody and they had a spot or whatever on their shirt, that's where your focus is, right? Remember the commercials with the little voice? And you're not listening to anything they're saying. You're just hearing, I'm a stain, you know, look at me, right? Even though the shirt was 90% white, those stains were prevalent. And so that's what soiled means, is that we are to be clean. There's not to be a spot or a blemish. Now, I understand and you understand that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. But that doesn't mean that we can't retain some of the soil of this world on our shirts. That maybe we compromise ourselves by being a friend of the world, but we're still religious. I like these things of the world, but I'm still religious. Well, remember what James says in his letter. And it's a hard saying. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What's enmity? That means hatred. Ouch, that's our strong word. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, what does that mean, being a friend of the world? It means you... That means you spend a lot of time in the world. Being with the world. Relating with the world. Being comfortable in the world. Spending a lot of time in the world. I'm not talking presence. I'm talking what you invest in. Secondly, Peter says we are to be found without a blemish. Or in your versions it may say blameless. And this word means to be free from fault and censure. To be faultless and above reproach and rebuke. Character that is above reproach is the high calling of being a believer in Christ. You see, not only are we to have faith in Christ and believe in the foundational teachings and doctrine of Christ, but we are to live out that, and we do that through our character. Who we are, that's what character is. It's who you are. Especially when trials and tribulation come. It reveals the true nature of yourself. That's why we are not to be anxious about trials and tribulations. We're to use them... As James says, to produce something in us. And what is to produce? The character of Christ. But we're to be blameless. We're to be above approach. I tell you, when the world points a finger at you and tells you how to be a Christian, mm, that's a bad day in your camp for the world to point that out. Now, what this means in our character should never come into question under examination, not only from the world, but from the church. Contained within character is honesty. Honesty is not being bold and telling people what they need to hear, it's being honest and truthful, even in those times when lying could save your hide. I have a lot of airmen out there on base, and when I do their background investigations, I can tell when they're lying because they don't want to come clean. Being honest is not telling people what they want to hear. It's always saying the truth, no matter the circumstances that you face. But we also contain integrity, which I've already spoken about. It also means to have sound judgment where decisions are guided by God's Word and the leading of the Holy Spirit and not by the way of the world. Well, this is what the world says you should do in this given situation. Brothers, if you go to the world as your first stop in deciding something major in your life, you're going to get a worldly answer. If you go as your first stop to God... He will give you the answer or He'll lead you to somebody in the church as to where to go. Now, I'm not saying that all worldly advice is wrong, like how do I finance a house, things of that nature. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how many of us engage the world on trying to figure out what we're supposed to do in a situation that is 100% something that we can derive from the Bible as it relates to your character. It's a life of reverence, always being conscious of God in every aspect of life, in His omnipotence. It is to live a life of accountability. We talked about that. It is a life of meekness where we secure our relationship in Christ and we don't have to seek after the worldly acknowledgments that tend to tickle our pride. It's also a life of humility, this character in Christ, which really means not elevating yourself above others. Here's the thing, you can all do that. It is what God has called us to do. It's what God has called and empowered us to do. Therefore, it is something we can do. And so character is extremely important when it comes to being blameless. And in fact, if you remember in chapter 1, Peter says that he has given us all things that we need for godliness, to live this life in Christ. There's nothing you don't have. Now, it is not automatic. It does not happen by osmosis, by sleeping with the Bible next to you on the nightstand. For as Paul wrote to Timothy, we need to train ourselves in godliness. We need to train ourselves in godliness, meaning to continuously grow in Christ's character by studying His Word and growing in maturity. To be trained in godliness. And we need to be diligent about it. It needs to be a priority in our life. Because you will find out when it's not. You will find out when it's not. So put your full effort into it. Finally, we are to be found in peace. So no spots, no blemishes, right? Being blameless. But we also need to be found in peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A believer in Christ does not receive his or her peace from anything within the world. It's a futile effort if that's where you're going. For everything in the world is uncertain. And in one day it will perish. Our peace comes from Christ having a relationship in Christ. A deep-seated peace that anchors our spirit. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what He's done for us that brings us peace. That we have now a right relationship with Christ. We now have a reconciled relationship with the Father through Christ. And that He has propitiated our sin, which means He has paid the penalty for our sin. That we have received as 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about, and the inheritance that He has given us as His children. And that He will meet all of our needs in accordance with Christ Jesus, and that His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and that we can take full confidence in His Word. This gives us great peace, if you'll let it. When we come to the full understanding of what Christ did for us, and that we could not do for ourselves, it will bring peace to your spirit. For it is my belief that what Christ did... We cannot undo. But that doesn't mean we take the grace in vain and live our lives the way we want. For what Christ did, we are able to walk in fully, completely, in that abundant life that He talks about us having. For what Christ did, we are able to live a life that is in Him fully, completely disconnected from the world that we have been called to serve in, not allowing the world to generate the anxiety that robs us of our peace. And once we see our value is not in the things of this world and that our hope is not found in any of them, the peace of Christ will flourish in your life. The peace of Christ will flourish in your life. Peace is a gift from Christ because he knows that left to ourselves, there is no peace that we can generate that's lasting. The peace we can produce is temporal and it's not secure and it's not enduring. So when Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What he is saying is when we fully embrace and receive the peace of Christ, it is of the Spirit. Not the workings of the flesh or what the world can provide. That is why peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's produced through you by Christ. It's not a state of mind. It's a state of spirit that affects the mind. And so we're not to be found in spot. We're not, to be found. we're not to be found blameless. We're to be found blameless, and we need to be at peace. Peace is an indicator that you have separated yourself from the world, and you're awaiting the return of Christ. And it's not easy. I understand you get that bill, Anxiety, you get that tax bill, your anxiety might be downsizing in your job. I understand that. And God allows those things to happen for what? To produce something in us, to not put your full faith in it. If God gave you the job that you're going to be laid off from, guess what he's going to do for the next one? He's going to give you one. So, no spot. Be blameless and be at peace. That's how we're to be found. Verse 15. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Here in this verse 15 is our second point that we need to address this morning or discover and learn, and that is patience of the Lord unto salvation. Now, as you recall, three weeks ago, we examined what scoffers were saying about Christ that He's not returned. Things are continuing as they always have. He ain't coming. Get real. They were only 35 to 40 years away from Christ's ascension. They're like, nah, he ain't coming. Well, now we're 2,000 years away from Christ's ascension, and there are people in the church, professed believers in Christ. He ain't coming. That doesn't make sense. Based upon in comparison to the natural laws that God has placed Himself, God cannot operate against Himself. He ain't coming. It's not what Scripture says. Now back then, like I said, they were all expecting Christ to return within their generation. Almost every generation does. I pray He comes during ours. But I also understand why he's being patient, why he's delaying. And we covered that because he wants all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, when Peter says to count the patience of the Lord of salvation, Peter's not saying that salvation is by way of patience. No, we know that our salvation is by way of grace, as Paul wrote in Ephesians. What Peter is saying is an extension of what we highlighted in verse 9 in that the Lord is patient unto His judgment because He knows when the final judgment comes, when Christ comes for the final time, the window of salvation is closed. There's no mulligans. It's closed and dependent upon your position of eschatology. and the end times, whether you're premillennial, postmillennial, post-millennial, amillennial, when Christ come, the final time, it doesn't matter which one of those you believe in or which position you hold to, that door of salvation is closed. Now that should inspire us to be found in Him, but it should also inspire us to take every opportunity we can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our friends and family. We live too much in a relative world. Well, they don't believe in Jesus and that's okay. You know, I don't want to push it on them. Would you go up to them in a burning car and say, are you okay? Do you need anything? If our instinct is to save people from a burning car, where's our spiritual instinct? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are perishing. Take that relativism and throw it in the garbage. I'd rather offend somebody in the gospel in love with hopes of giving them the truth than to say, gosh, if I invite them to this event, they may not like me anymore. They may be mad at me. Or they may go. Or if I share the gospel with them, they'll be offended then and they will never call me and then they won't hang out with me anymore. They won't be in eternity with you either. I may have told this story before, but I had a friend in high school that asked one day, who was watching television, he'd come from a born-again evangelical family. And I asked him about this born-again thing because I'm a Roman Catholic. We don't, we don't have that. What is that? It intrigued me. All my friends were like born again. I don't understand what that meant. And so I asked him because I knew he wasn't a follower of Christ because of the way he lived and I lived with him. Um, You know, the things that teenagers do. And I asked him, I said, uh, do you believe in that born again? He goes, oh yeah, I do. What do you do with that? He goes, you know what? I'm just, you know, when I get older, I'm just going to give my life to the Lord later in life. Right? But right now, I want to have fun. And I, at 16, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, what's on MTV? It doesn't make sense. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people that believe that way. When the time comes, I'll give my life to the Lord. Brothers, you heard the story of my sister-in-law who was killed in an ATV accident. She had no idea that she had an appointment with God at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. No idea. Neither do we. Neither do your brothers, neither do your sisters, neither does your family. Neither does your friends, your coworkers, even your enemies, don't deserve that. And so God is slow. And coming because he's patient. But let's not take that as leniency as to the time because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when things slow down. Today is the day of salvation. And so God is not slow as we count him slow, but he's patient, wanting none to perish. He's waiting, he's patient. And for those who don't know him, such as Nicodemus at the time of the garden, he is waiting for you. He is waiting for your friends, your family. But make no mistake, and this should motivate us, when he comes, that opportunity is over. Now in verse 16, moving forward, Peter highlights something that's very important that we're just going to discuss real quick, and that's the proper interpretation of Scripture. Within this verse, Peter makes note that Paul's words can be hard to understand at times. Now, I do not believe that this is a slight towards Paul from Peter, but in context, in the some that misunderstand or misinterpret what Paul was saying, and then twists it. And I've said this, Scripture says what Scripture says. We cannot read into it what we want to believe or defend and Properly interpret scripture is very important because if you get it wrong, you're going to go down the wrong road. And and this is what really kind of mystifies me. When Darla and I were on vacation in Wyoming, and I hate to admit this, we plugged in everything that we needed to do with Google and Gillette. How many of you have been to Gillette? Okay, good. So it's a very easy town to get in and out of, like mine. Go north or southeast or west, you're out, right? So we plug this stuff into Google and we say, we got to go to Miles City, Montana. 30 miles down the road, Darla goes, this doesn't seem right. What do you mean it doesn't seem right? We're heading to to Sheridan. Now, we're going back the same way we came. We never went through Sheridan, Wyoming. And I thought to myself, what? Wait, wait, we didn't go through Sheridan, Wyoming? You see, we put our full trust into a Google. And it says, yeah, you're going to go this way. What we failed to miss is the turn in the road. You see, when we get interpretation of Scripture wrong, we're going to go down the wrong road. And hopefully, we'll get turned around. And we were able to get turned around, and we went through a town called Recluse, which, if you describe what you think that town would look like, is exactly the way it looks. And we had to take 15 miles of gravel road to get back on Highway 59 back to Minneapolis or Miles City. Yeah, we got lost in Wyoming. Try that. Not too many people can say that, but we can. We cannot read into what Scripture. We have to have a proper interpretation of Scripture. But at the same time, let me just say this. This is important, and we were talking about this as elders. Doctrine is important. I love doctrine. And Paul says that we're going to keep sound doctrine so as they're not to be carried away. Theology is important, which is the study of God. And it's essential in our discipleship process and being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ to grow into maturity. Sound interpretation of Scripture, as I said, is immensely important. But let us not become pharisaical as the Pharisees in our positions. Because when we do, It's not love that's in operation. It's doctrine. I have a lot of friends that don't hold... Now, the foundational doctrine, we're all in agreement, 100%. The methodologies, we don't always agree. Never let doctrine cause you to be unloving even if you don't agree. Because Paul, who gave us most of the doctrine in the New Testament, says that if we don't first love, we're just making noise. We're just making noise. Back on to our points. Verse 17, we'll run into our third point. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own Stability. We are to have stability in our faith. And we do that by what? Not being found without spot, being blameless, being at peace, having a strong character in Christ. And here, Paul, uh, Peter returns to the heart of the message within his letter. And that it's a warning he is providing as it relates to false teachers and brings us to our third main point. The whole letter of that Peter is writing is warning us But He's also arming us with truth of the gospel. Truth of the eyewitness accounts. Truth and accuracy of the prophetic word. Truth of the Holy Spirit who divinely inspired the word of God to people such as Peter and Paul and the other writers of our canon The warning here is preemptive. That's why he uses the word beforehand. And stirred up, it is to stir us up in our faith to where we can put our full confidence in it, in the promises of God and what he's calling us to do. And this is going to keep us stable in faith. Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you my own personal experience when you're not studying the Word of God, when you're not reading the Word of God, when you're not praying over the Word of God, when you're not taking time away from your busy day to just get away with God, you're going to be unstable. And the things of the world are going to become more appealing. You're not going to have the confidence in Christ that you want. There are a lot of people that, that talk to me about, you know, how, how do I, how do I, I, I just don't feel confident in who I am. I just don't feel confident. Brothers and sisters, you gain confidence by getting to know Him, to know Him, spending time with Him. That's what provides Stability. Think of it in your jobs. If you didn't know the instructions, the guidance, the directions, or whatever it is that you're responsible for doing, and you get up to that task that you have been called and paid to do, and you can't do it because you don't know, that's that's an odd feeling. That's a scary feeling. Especially when they consider you to be trained, equipped, and capable of doing it. My boss called me up one day and she goes, I got a vent, Tim. Go ahead. I am sick and tired of agents calling me up, asking me questions that they know or they're supposed to know and they can just simply go to the TIG, which is the book that we use, to find the answers. That made me pause. Do I do that? Am I not confident in the job that I'm called and paid to do? Brothers and sisters, we need to be confident in our walk with Christ. We need to be stable. How do we do that? By continuously growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, which we are going to be talking about. In verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Finally. Within our fourth main point, Peter now gives his benediction and he also gives a doxology. Within a few years after this letter, we'll, Peter will find himself in the same situation that Jesus found himself, being crucified. Many of the early church historians, such as Tertullian, Origen, Eusebius, believe that Jesus described how it would be for Peter in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19, in which how he would go through his final days and that his arms will be stretched out and others will dress him and lead him where he does not want to go as a foretelling to to Peter's crucifixion. And so now, seeing the end coming, Peter is now focused and he's exhorting his last admonishment to the church. And one of the key verses, which I believe is one of the key verses in the New Testament that we should have memorized, is verse 18 on how we are to live this life in Christ. And if there's anything that I want you to remember when you walk out this door is verse 18. Because it's an everyday verse. It's an everyday admonishment. And if we don't, we will be instable or unstable. So let's look at it. To grow in grace means to what? To grow beyond your mere experience of salvation and to continue the journey into His fullness and maturity. I know too many Christians who have given their life to Christ and that was it. They're not progressing. They're not maturing. They're not growing. They're just existing. And they wonder why they're having so many troubles in their life. So many anxieties. So many worries. So many doubts. Well, what, do what do you expect to happen when you were given salvation By the only person who can provide you true peace, and you don't even pay attention to them. You're like, thanks for salvation, Jesus. I'm just going to hang out over here with my friends. But I don't understand why my life is not right. I don't understand why I have all these anxieties and worries. Jesus is standing right over here. Because you left me, what did you expect? No one is complete upon salvation. It is a life of transformation. It's a life of growing in the grace of our Lord. To understand what that means, because it is by grace you have been saved. It's a journey. How did I get here? Love that question. And I wish a lot of you knew me before. How'd I get here? Because I desired to live this life in Christ and to mature and to grow. And it pains me and it hurts me and it aggravates me when I do things I think I should no longer do. But I'm thankful for the grace of God who continues to operate in me. But how do we grow in this grace? Peter commands. Well, there are several things we must do. First, we must be continuously pursuing God. Not in order to catch Him. (laughs) He's right there. But to know Him fully. A.W. Tozer says this, The impulse to pursue God originates with God. But the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after Him. So what does this look like? Well, Paul gives us an answer. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what you're pursuing. That's what should be on our heart. Therefore, to grow in grace is to grow beyond the mere experience of our salvation, but to continue this journey of fullness. Secondly, we are to grow in the knowledge of Him. John chapter 1, I think we discussed that today briefly in Sunday school. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Within the first sentence of John's gospel, he establishes the living word and that the word is God. We know him by way of his word. He is revealed by way of his word. We are called by way of his word. We know truth by way of his word. We are saved by way of his hearing of his word. We are transformed by the way of his word. We grow by way of his word. We mature by way of his word. We are sustained By way of his word, we are forever changed by way of his word. And we are forever secured by way of his word. It is his word. It's just not the knowledge of him, who he is, where he was, how old was he, what do he do for a living? Where did he live? Where did he not live? Where did he travel to? Who was his friends? Who weren't his friends? What was his challenges? It is to know him intimately. I don't know if you guys are realizing this, but and, and I was just preparing this from Sunday school to here, and I pray it's the same in the women's Sunday school class and, and, and the boys' Sunday school class. Do you notice this growing, this growing impression that we need to know the Lord Intimately. Intimately. That's what drives you to the cross. To know Him. That takes you beyond mere religion of just practicing into a relationship of intimacy. Do you know Him intimately? He has revealed Himself fully. This book wasn't written just to the masses. It was written to you. Personally. This is who I am. Want to know me? Get to know me. I want you to know me. I like what Matthew Henry says when it relates to the grace and knowledge and growing in them. When he says this, I apologize for the small font. Labor to know Christ more clearly and more fully, to know Him so as to be more like Him, and to love Him better. This is the knowledge of Christ which the Apostle Paul reached at. Reached, uh, reached after, and desired to attain. And those who taste this effective knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will, upon receiving such grace from Him, give thanks and praise to Him and join in ascribing glory to Him now in the full assurance of doing the same hereafter and forever. Do you know Him? Are you getting to know Him? Finally, Peter gives us his doxology in the final part of verse 18. To him be the glory, both now to the day of eternity. Amen. That's how he closes his letter. His last letter. And when he says to him, be the glory, you see, Jesus was more than a man. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a healer. He was more than a leader. He was more than a rabbi. He was more than a master. More than a son. He was more than a carpenter. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is the author and finisher of your faith. And He's calling you to be diligent in it. You know, we've had quite a journey through First and 2 Peter. I enjoyed this study. I learned so much. And my young pastor friend of mine, who says, man, in your first year as a pastor, you're going to learn so much that you're going to, you're going to be worried about losing it, missing placing it, you know, because I, I have a photographic memory, but my hard drive is really small. But within First Peter, we are called to live a life of holiness. Remember that? In a world that is evil. That was the challenge. That was the theme of First Peter. And in 2 Peter, we're called to be diligent in our faith to ensure that we do not fall prey to false teachings, that we're not swayed or bring doubt upon our faith at the hands of scoffers. I hope after this almost year-long journey, it's almost been a year through Peter, you know more about Peter as an apostle, but moreover, you know more about yourself and where you are in your journey of faith. And so I'll give my own doxology to put a cap on this series of sermons. May the inspired word of God through the faithful hands of Peter stir you in your faith and strengthen you in maturity so you can be found faithful in the Lord until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the study that we've embarked upon, Lord, and there's much to know, but Father, we know that we'll never fully know everything, and so we're continuously, Father, supposed to be striving towards that maturity in you until the fullness of time, which we pray, Lord come, Lord Jesus. But Father, we also know you're patient, and as we have family and friends and people that we care about, and even people that we just acquainted with, Lord, that don't know you, Father. The time is ripe. Today is a day of salvation. Give us the words. Give us the opportunity. Give us the interaction. Give us the boldness and the courage to speak. And so, Father, as we now go into our song of worship, Father, may our hearts forever be tuned to you and our minds be ever focused upon you and meditate upon you. And may your word continue to grow within us and reflect you in the character of Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.